Hey everyone, it's Jeff from MCS Mag, and I think you're going to find this week's podcast very cool because we cover a topic that hardly anyone thinks about as a critical survival skill. That's a mistake because the tips that you're about to discover from this week's guest are going to show you how mastering the tracking skills of the legendary Apache warriors can absolutely apply to everything from a search and rescue mission for a family member to surviving in an all-out collapse scenario. Get ready to take a lot of notes because we cover a ton of practical action items that you're going to want to test out right away. Let's go ahead and get started. If bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, would you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Oftentimes when we discuss a breakdown in civil order or a collapse scenario, we talk about the importance of being as covert as possible. When the panic masses around you become more desperate, this can often lead to targeting of the most prepared of us, either from victimized citizens, gangs of post-collapse thugs, or even authorities who could potentially see you as a threat. Now, this is why it's so important for you to be able to evade detection while away from your home or base camp, or perhaps even as you're bugging out to a safer location in populated areas. Well, what if I told you that the most advanced secrets for this type of covert evasion could actually come from Native American scouting strategies used long ago. You see, during the Apache Wars of the 1860s and 1880s, the U.S. Army unsuccessfully deployed up to 25% of their entire Western troop strength trying to locate, get this, just 33 Apache warriors in the southwestern deserts of what was then still called Indian Territory. Now, these invisible Apache fighters always knew their enemy's location, strength, and direction of travel, while the U.S. Army rarely possessed similar field intelligence. Now, this is exactly the skill set that you should look at mastering to help you get through a period of civil unrest, and it's exactly what we're here to train in now as we discover the essentials of covert movement, reconnaissance, wilderness survival, and critical scouting skills. Hello, everyone. It's Jeff Anderson again from Modern Combat and Survival Magazine with another podcast to help you better prepare in your role as a protector and a patriot. And with, and with me today is my friend and survival expert, Kevin Reeve. Kevin, welcome back to the program. Thank you. It's good to be here. Always good to have you on. I try and dig deep into your cranium and pull out as many cool stuff as I can. So <laughs> That's dangerous territory, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, listen, Kevin is the founder and director of On Point Tactical, the leading provider of training in urban survival and escape and evasion. Now, On Point has trained many members of elite military groups, including U.S. Army Special Forces, U.S. Navy SEALs, MARSOC, Air Force Pararescue, Navy and Air Force SEER instructors, as well as members of law enforcement, DEA, U.S. Marshal Service, Secret Service, and the CIA. Now, in addition to urban survival skills, Kevin teaches wilderness survival, tracking, SEER, point man training, scout and tracking tactics, as well as a host of other programs. Now, prior to founding On Point Tactical, 
Kevin worked for one of the top tracking schools in America, and he spent eight years as a director at this program and was responsible for the instructor staff there. His training is well-recognized, even in Hollywood, and his TV and movie credits include technical work on the film The Hunted, History Channel's After Armageddon, as well as other shows, including an in-depth profile on his school and training by ABC News Nightline. Now, to learn more about Kevin and his training, make sure that you visit him online at www.onpointtactical.com. Okay, Kevin, let's, let's go ahead and get started with this. Now, I see the role of the tactical scout as being someone who gathers intelligence, sneaking around and, and seeing things without being seen, so that the, you can know what's happening without being detected. Now, it seems to me that a big part of being a tactical scout is awareness. Developing your intuition, exactly. yeah, I mean, developing that intuition is so critical, and, and looking for those signs and clues that are available when you're tracking. So how do I train myself to see more, to like to sense more, when I'm searching for clues and signs as part of tracking and gathering intelligence? Well, awareness is first and foremost a choice. You have to decide you want to be aware. Uh, most of us spend a lot of time inside our own heads, uh, replaying conversations, thinking about future events, thinking of worrying about bills, worrying, you know, and there's no awareness in that state. You have to, you have to make a decision that you need to, to pay attention to what's going on here and now. We call it living in the present. And there's no place and no time where it's more important than when you're out scouting. You have to be aware of everything that's happening in your surroundings. So, uh, and, and you can't do that when you're caught up in what we call the city mind, where your brain is, is just filled with, you know, those tapes that we play over and over and those conversations we play and all that stuff that you, you, you know what I'm talking about because we all do it all the time. But you have to you have to get beyond that and focus on what's happening right now. So that's our first step uh, in, in developing awareness is, is choosing to be aware and then learning how to focus on what's happening today, right now. I, this always seems like you know whenever we see like a, the old western you know shows and things like that, it always seems like they magically come across these little like these tracks or you know they smell the ground and it's like oh yes yeah. they were they were here you know, five minutes ago, or they feel the fire, <laughs> things like that, you know, it's like, so, our, but, and, and like you say, I mean, walking out in urban areas and things like that, we kind of get in this zombie, you know, walking dead mode where we're just kind of yeah. fumbling through. Um, I would think that in more remote areas, it's even harder to see those clues, you know, yeah. the snapped twig on on the tree or whatever, but, and, and it always seems to me whenever I'm watching these movies where it's like the Indians are tracking somebody or whatever, that, the the people who they're they're tracking seem to be running or on horseback or on whatever like a million miles an hour, but the trackers always <laughs> seem to be like just yeah, behind yeah. them to be able to catch the the broken twig or something. But yeah. that kind of awareness really does. It seems like it takes um, slowing down as well to be able to find that. I mean, is there any like as far as being open to or aware of your surroundings? Do you, are, are there elements of that where you like you need to slow your ass down and not be so yeah, quick? Yeah, it's a, it's really important. There's there's two two kind of fundamental aspects of awareness. One is extending your senses, and the other is pulling in your disturbance. When you walk through the forest, you know you're creating a circle of disturbance around you. Usually, much pitched much further forward than back, but everything in that circle knows you're there all the animals, all the birds, everything, 
and they react a certain way to, to your presence. So the first thing you have to do is how to learn is learn how to not walk like a human, how to vary your your pace, vary your uh, speed, uh, stop and pause, and allow those. Uh, disturbances to pull into you. There's a whole series of movement techniques that we get into in the classes that teach you how to how to first pull in your circle of disturbance, and then you have to extend your senses, and and that's another set of skills: how to use your eyes and your peripheral vision, and how to uh, you know pay attention to sense of smell, listen to the to the language of the birds, and to hear what they're saying about other others in the neighborhood. There's a whole series of skills around that, too. So it's kind of a two-step process. First thing you do is learn how to move quietly. Learn how to walk like a native does. Learn how to move like the, the scouts of old. And they did not walk from point A to point B without hesitation. They, they were very slow and very careful. And that allowed one of the effects of that is to help keep you in the here and now, keep you in the present. Uh, and then the, the second thing they learned how to do was was throw their senses out as far as they possibly could, using their eyes differently, using peripheral vision to capture motion, uh, using um, their sense, their hearing in particular, listening for alarm calls from birds and, and uh, squirrels and other animals that have a high vantage point. There's a whole series of skills around uh, around that movement. That movement is really at the base of what we teach in the scout class. Is if you wanna if you wanna be aware like a native, uh, like a, an Apache scout or, or, uh, you know, every nation has scouts. So you aborigines and aboriginals in Australia have scouts. Everybody has some form of a scout. So, uh, the Apaches are the ones I'm familiar with and, and the, who I consider to have been the kind of the top of the arc. But, um, that, that concept of the one who goes ahead, one who goes before is, is universal in, in most aboriginal or most, uh, Hunter gatherer society, yeah. and and those skills are so uh, lost upon us today. And I was having a conversation with a couple of members of my family last week about that. We were talking about why people don't pay attention, and the answer I gave them was that people don't pay attention because there are no predators. There, you know, if you if I told you to walk outside but not worry about the Siberian tiger that was on the loose. I probably wouldn't have a real good response to it. You would be uh you would be jumping at the sound of a door creaking or a footfall. Because there's no predators like that in nature, we tend to not pay much attention. But go camping in glaciers sometime or up in Alaska where you're surrounded by grizzly bears and see how attentive you become. You know, it's, it, there's no question that you're going to be paying attention. My yeah. boss used to laugh and say, if you're camping in the glacier and you hear a mouse fart, you're going to jump through the roof. <laughs> That's so true. I was, uh, I was actually with my son at a, at a scout camping and I always kind of, I always practice my skills when I'm camping with his scout troop. Mm-hmm. And so I always, I always find like they've got their big orange tents open and I'm always finding like a covert area away from everybody right. that I can be hidden. And, but it also sticks me out there alone. And so, you know, we had one yeah. night where, um, I could hear the coyotes and they got closer and then I heard things around me. And then all of a sudden there was this shriek that sounded like, 
like a chimpanzee riding a raccoon. It was it was the most <laughs> god awful somebody yeah. dying shriek and and I had my little <laughs> I had my little pocket knife out, armed and ready to go just so should whatever <laughs> gorilla attack me in my tent or whatever. But but you're, you're right. It, you had an AR fifteen and, <laughs> and what the heck were you thinking coming camping without one? That's right. I yeah, I have probably. my spork. Leave me alone. <laughs> so. Well, to be honest with you, a scream like that, the only thing I've ever heard, it, it, sometimes it, it could be a, a raccoon or a, a rabbit or something getting killed by a coyote. Um, I but, think that's uh, what it was. I think it was it a... It might also be, uh, it might also be a mountain lion. Mountain lion has let off this horrible scream. It sounds like a woman being, it, it's a female sounding scream. And it is so intense when it goes off. Man, yeah. that yeah. wakes you right up. But you know, if you, if you're out in nature and, there are some form of predators, even if they're low, you know, not, coyotes are not particularly dangerous and, uh, unless you're a child playing in by yourself and, you know, they look at you as a little more vulnerable, but for the most part, coyotes don't attack humans. There have been a couple lately, but it's just not that common. Yeah. But, you know, if you, if you were in an area that was populated by bears or wolves or lions, mountain lions, I guarantee you that awareness would be high and that's and that's kind of where we are today there aren't those kinds of predators when we go out so we don't really care you know yeah i've yeah. had occasion to sit on populated trails trails that are heavily hiked and as you sit there and watch people go past you realize they are in conversations about i was listening to a couple of scouts hiking and they were talking about video games and they were they were absolutely engrossed in their conversation and they were but they had no awareness of what was going around them and there was a squirrel up in the tree over there over the trail that was nipping off buds and dropping them and he dropped one right on the head of one of these scouts and he didn't even make any connection he just looked looked at it on the ground and kept on walking and i just had to laugh i thought man there's a squirrel six feet over your head biting off off little twigs and branches and dropping them on your head and you can't be aware enough, awake enough to to see it. Yeah, yeah. And I think you know one of the one of the issues I have with our education system is that we are creating kids that are completely unaware of anything in the natural world. They spend no time outside. They just don't have the option of. I mean, they just don't know how to be aware. And I I spend a lot of time with my kids, and it sounds like you're doing that with yours to yeah. try and and, and to um, it immerse them in natural settings and, and have them have those experiences because that's how you develop the awareness. You don't, you can only be aware of what you know. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems you only getting worse. I mean, don't, don't start me on my rant as a parent. <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I look around and see these kids. I, never mind. We'll get going. But, <laughs> but you know, tracking, tracking really does seem like it's an expe- extensive and a, and a very complicated field. At least it, it seems like it. And I think that there are a lot of misconceptions about there that are driven by television and movies. Sure. When it comes to you know what's the reality of this. So well, you see the you see in the movie you see uh, this Native American tracker and he's looking at a pair of uh, a set of footprints and he holds some sand up and lets it fall and watches it drift in the wind and he looks makes a pronouncement. He says, uh, "Hey, two days ahead." Um, you know, and they give you all this information. And, you know, frankly, I know some trackers that can do that. Uh, and, and so there is, uh, there is some truth behind some of the romance. 
But I think that when, when, when you're looking at people coming into your course, though, I mean, you, you there's always this emptying of the glass that has to happen, right? I mean, there's sure. like the misperceptions sure. and stuff like that. What would you say from your experience when people come in and they're learning the reality of, of scouting, what would you say are like the three biggest myths or, or, or misconceptions that they have about the reality of, of scouting, scout tracking? Well, the tracking in particular is one of those skills that, you know, I'll teach you the basics, and then you have to go practice. And I think the big misconception is that it's easy. You just got to just got to come take a class, and you'll know how to do it. Well, you'll know how to teach yourself how to do it. But if you don't put in the in what what we always refer to as the dirt time, the time on your knees studying track, if you don't practice, then you won't get it. Now, in our classes, we give you a bunch of drills that are designed to teach you how to see tracks. Think of it Think of it this way. There's. If I were searching a crowd for somebody that I'd only seen once, what are my odds of actually seeing them? But if I'm searching a crowd for people that I know intimately, my wife or my children, I'll be able to pick them out reasonably quick. Why? Because I've seen them a thousand times. Well, tracking is that way. You have to see a thousand tracks before they become obvious to you. And after a while... You get really good. I, I mean, I know trackers um, that are astonishingly good at picking out just a partial track, just a little dimple where the heel struck or a little push off from the toe or a edge of a, a shoe, and they're really good at it, but they're, they got good at it from looking at tracks for a long time. So I can't give you an easy uh, solution. I can accelerate the learning by teaching you drills to do to teach you how to see those tracks, but there's just nothing short of actually doing it that gets you up to speed. So my first mis- misconception is that it's something you learn instantly. And, you know, what I've discovered with most skills uh, that are, you know, if you're a shooter, you know, you don't just pick up a gun and shoot. There's a lot of practice. You have to put a lot of rounds through or dry fire a lot or whatever in order to get to the point where you're accurate. And that's the same thing I would say is true with, 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 with tracking and scouting. And I really have a hard time distinguishing between tracking and awareness because they're so similar. I can't really be aware if I'm not tracking. It really requires me to be looking and tracking, meaning uh, the broader sense, not just looking at footprints, but looking at the environment and, and trying to see uh, what we call a, a variation from the baseline. Now, in the urban environment, last time we were on, uh, we talked about baseline, which is the noise and activity level of the area that you're in. And, and um, noticing variations to the, to the baseline um, and learning how to blend into the baseline. That's, that's what we talked about in the urban class. Well, same thing is very true out here in the woods. We have, to, we have to learn how to read the landscape and see what is baseline, what is normal. And uh, variation to that, normal meaning this is how loud it is, this is how many birds are making noise, this is the movement of the animals, this is kind of the the, the normal state. I guess that's the best way to describe baseline is the normal state. Uh, And then a predator shows up and spikes the noise and activity level because all the animals are reacting to him. And um, when they react to him, they send out alarm codes. And that's what we're looking for uh, all the time. We're monitoring that baseline. 
we're tracking the landscape, we're tracking the baseline to try and find places where uh, there are predators present. Now, humans are apex predators, and they make a very distinct signature in the in the woods that it's very easy for somebody who's trained to pick out. And uh, so the scout class, we teach you a lot about how to determine what the language of the birds is for that particular, uh, for that human encounter. And it is, uh, it is astonishing. I've tra- trained uh, uh, sniper teams, and, and it's really funny to hear them talk about it because they say, you know, like a lot of those guys are hunters, and they say, it's funny, but I've done this my whole life. I just didn't have a name for it. As a hunter, I was always tracking the baseline. But I didn't know that's what it was called, and now you've given me a, a language to describe that. And that's really the, the that the key to that awareness is learning how to track the baseline and figure out when there's a variation. So um, the, 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 you asked me for three things that are misconceptions. One is that uh, it's some kind of ma- the second is that it's some kind of magic. Uh, it's not magic. It's awareness. It's paying attention, and it's a choice. But you have to have some training to understand how it works. So a lot of what um, a lot of what we're going to cover is how to read the language of nature in a way that tells you when other humans are present. And at great distance, sometimes 100, 200 yards, I can detect a, a human predator. So you know that, that's the second. And the third the third myth is probably. Uh, and, and so the second really is it's not magic. You know, a lot of people look at this and they go, oh, it's some mythical spiritual gift. It really isn't. It is really a practical, uh, easy, uh, I shouldn't say easy to develop, but able to develop skill. It's something everybody is capable of doing if they make the decision to do that. Uh, and that is paying attention to what's happening around them. Looking for, for disturbances to the baseline. And, uh, so the, uh, and the third method, uh, is it's all about how well armed you are. How, uh, how cool your gear is. Uh, do you have the latest, uh, buffer spring that, you know, and do you have the, 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 I can't use brand names, but do you have the latest grip on the front and do you have, and, and, and it really has nothing to do with that. Because the, the the mission of the scout is to remain completely undetected. His job is to be eyes and ears for a larger group and to keep um, them informed of who is where, always knowing the presence of the enemy. Like you said in your introduction about Geronimo and his 33 Braves, he kept he kept the U.S. Army on the run. They never laid a glove on him ever. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't. He was never captured. He surrendered. He just got tired of it and said, yeah, I think I want to go live on the res for a while. So how did they do that? They did it with outstanding awareness, with very specific patrolling techniques to get them out and, and ahead of their of their regular group, the 33. You know, three or four were always out ahead. They were always out scouting and, and passing information back so that, hey, you know, and, and, and in the Apache metaphor, think about it this way. They had 33 warriors. Geronimo and 30, so a total of 34 men. Could they afford to lose any? No, they had no way of replacing troops. The U.S., if you killed 30 
U.S. troops, 30 more showed up the next week. You know, there was there was this, we'll, we'll just engage you until you, you know, that was their, their approach. But the Apache approach was, we will avoid you at all costs until the circumstances are absolutely perfectly in our favor. So we think of the Apaches as these really aggressive warriors, which they were. I mean, they were very capable martially. Um, but reality is 99% of the time they avoided the conflict. And that's what kept them alive. So, uh, yeah, it was kind of another myth is that, you know, it's in, you're going to engage. Man, you do not want to get into a gunfight. Seriously, you don't know who you're fighting. These guys could be really good. It's so much better to avoid them. And uh, so the, the the scout was out there in the front identifying the location and direction and numbers of the enemy uh, and moving your unit way out of the way so you didn't have to worry about engagement. And that's really what I see in a, in a future scenario where you bugged out and you're in a, in, at a location and, and you have to patrol aggressively to identify and uh, if necessary, you know, abandon your location and go somewhere else. Yeah, that seems important to me. I mean, if, if just when I'm listening to you, I mean, almost one of the, I guess one of the misconceptions or people that people don't really know is that scouting is part of an overall tactical plan. It's information yeah. gathering, and I know just from you know from being in the military. I mean, what was most often the the decider of your fate in any sort of a mission was the amount of intelligence that you had going into it, which is why. You know, we had operations orders, we had after-action reviews, sure. we had sand tables. I mean, it was all about the planning of it more so than being able to pull the trigger and hit something. Right. So, now, one of my, yeah. I got a great story about that. One of my friends was a uh, special forces in Vietnam, and they were out on the on the Ho Chi Minh Trail, probably somewhere close to the Cambodian border. I'm not sure which side they were on, but they were out there. And they were up on a mountain watching the trail, and they would watch and see troop strengths, uh, you know, gather information and so forth, and then call in, call it in, and, and uh, you know, they would take appropriate fast movers, dropping bombs and stuff like that. But he said they were out there, and he says they saw this this four-man team of, of what of, you know, out in front of, you know, where they didn't know there was anybody else. They just saw this four-person team coming down the trail. And the, one of the guys on the team says, let's take them out. And my buddy said, you know, I think we should just let him go. We don't know who's behind him. That may be a scout advance unit. Let's just let him go. And, you know, 500 yards later, here comes a, an entire battalion of North Vietnamese regulars. Mm. And if they had lit these guys up, they would have been in a foot chase all the way back to Saigon. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, much better not to be seen. Yeah. The yeah, risk yeah. engaging something you can't win. And for me, you know, if I'm in a survival group, I don't want to lose anybody. I might lose the doctor. I might lose one of my children. That's not acceptable. So uh, I know it's to some it seems, oh, you know, you're not being very brave here. You're, you know. But the common sense is avoid conflict in this scenario. You just don't know who you're going up against. One of my buddies asked me, uh, you he was a guy who kept getting in trouble. He was a, a team guy, and he kept getting in trouble for fighting in bars. And he said, "Dude, how do I not get into bar fights?" He's like, "He's like facing a captain's mask for for fighting." And I said, "Dude, don't go into the bar." <laughs> <laughs> and it was a, it was a, he just looked at me like I was crazy. I said, 
You don't want to get into a bar fight. Don't go into the bar. Uh, you don't want to engage somebody. Don't be where they are. Know where your enemy is and avoid them. That is the heart of what we what we're talking about with all these scout classes that we teach. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're talking with Kevin Reeve of OnPointTactical.com about how to master the scouting and tracking skills of the Apache Indians for post-collapse escape and evasion. Now, we have a lot more to get into, including how to pick up invisible signs of movement and activity when you need to be the tracker, counter-tracking methods for keeping pursuers off your trail, and how to read an area like a blueprint when moving through unfamiliar urban areas that could be a rich source of resupply or a dangerous attack zone that could threaten your party. All this and more coming right up, but first, check out this special message. In any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover the seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. And how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can. If you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. Okay, we're back with Kevin Reeve of OnPointTactical.com talking about what you can learn from the famed Apache scouts in order to escape and evade others during times of civil collapse. Now, we've just started uh, basically getting into all of this stuff. We have a lot more to cover, so let's go ahead and get back into the interview now. Now, Kevin, I can think of plenty of reasons that you might need to track someone or a group of someone's in some sort of a, a, of a survival scenario. I mean, let's say that your camp gets raided when you're not there, and you come back and, and you find your things ransacked. You may have no other option because you have no other means to sustain you and your party but to get your stuff back. Um, I might have a member of my survival group who goes missing too, and, and and I might need to track them to find them again, or maybe it's a family member or something like that. So when I'm tracking someone who, let's say, stole my supplies or I'm trying to find a lost member of my party, what are some of the signs that I should learn to look for with my newfound developed awareness? Well, um, you know, first of all, you're going to survey the area and try and figure out what happened, how many, how many people are there, uh, See if you can see any indications of, of their training, their uh, their abilities, and so forth from the tracks. And then you're going to have to essentially cut a circle around your camp, tracking as you go to pick up the trail they took out of camp. Now, usually most people are very unconcerned about their trail. They don't even realize trackers. 
I remember coming upon a guy um, who we were tracking. He was sitting on a log, shotgun next to him, and we walked out, and he looked up, and, and he was stunned. And his response when we when we caught up to him was, how did you find me? Well, you know, we don't want to tell you how we found you. Just good luck, I guess, you know, but, you know, that kind of thing. It's always astonishing that somebody can track. People just don't use, understand that as a skill. I mean, they don't even know it's possible. So once you cut that, that trail, you're going to start pursuing it. And you mentioned something earlier that's kind of interesting, which is how the, the, the slow trackers always seem to catch up to the bad guys. And they do it by splitting their team and, and doing uh, what we call leapfrogging or, or bounding. Uh, I'll stay on the trail, and half of my tracking team is going to go uh, in a big circle sweeping around uh, to get ahead a half mile or three-quarters of a mile, a mile, whatever the terrain dictates, and try and pick up the trail again. And if they pick up the trail, then they've cut a mile off of our track. And they, then we bound and go around them. And we can cut off a lot of, uh, a lot of trail quickly that way. And that's, you know, when you see the tracking team suddenly on the heels of the, of the bad guy, that's how it happens. See, in a tracking scenario, if you're running and I'm trailing you and you're going twice as fast as I am, I'll probably never catch you. If we're going the same speed, I'll probably never catch you. But if I'm going faster than you are, then I'm going to catch you. And that's what I have to figure out how to do. And, and using a, a two-team bounding, uh, cutting for sign scenario is how you do that. So, uh, you're going to, you're going to get on that trail and you're going to get aggressive. And, and, uh, hopefully you're going to be able to trail them night and day. If you have night vision, it's really easy, super easy to track at night with night vision. It's actually easier than, than daytime tracking. And um, you're going to just keep going until you catch me. If it's my daughter or my son, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep pushing and keep pushing. And as I get closer to him, I'll start picking up on those concentric rings. And I'll start to to narrow down where they are and uh, how far ahead they are. And it isn't magic. It looks magic in movies, but, you know, it's it's really pretty clear. I would think also maybe even like, especially whether you do it in, um, you're able to pick up the trail and start to see where they came from and everything. But most people aren't thinking in terms of how not to be tracked, I would think. Like they don't really know a lot of evasion skills. Oh, they don't believe tracking is possible. So they have no, they make no effort to hide their trail. Yeah. I did a TV show for Court TV a few years back, tracking two guys off the street and they had to escape and, Make their way across the, well, they, they figured it was dangerous to walk because they twist an ankle or something like that anywhere other than in the washes, the wadis. And so they walked right down the middle of the sand all the way out. Well, guess what? They just had no track awareness. And consequently, you know, we were able to catch them about three hours after we started. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was super, super easy because they didn't have any awareness of, of evading and counter-tracking. And once you develop a little awareness of, of your own trail, um, then, then that suddenly starts to come into your brain. So one of the things that we do in the class is I have the guys go out on a patrol uh, through the 
at night time patrol, and they come back the next morning after the patrol, and I say, first thing I want you to do is go look at your trail. So go walk the trail you walked last night and, and look at your tracks. And they come back going, holy crap, if anybody was around that had any tracking skill at all, they'd have nailed us. So that's the first lesson we teach in, in anti-track, which is uh, not leaving an obvious trail. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna, I'm definitely gonna want to get into kind of some of those, like, how do you, how do you not make those same mistakes? But, I mean, you've got my head kind of spinning here with like, cause, cause I like that. I mean, you, so you come upon, like, the event or something, like, first analyzing, you know, not just taking off, trying to like, um, sure. I mean, so it seems like, yeah, if my kid's missing or a member of my team's missing, my first instinct, like, I, I just have to hightail it and try and catch up to somebody, but. And that is, that is a huge mistake because you don't have any idea who they are, how well trained they are. You might see in the track really good discipline. Uh, you might see when somebody sat down and rested a rifle butt. And, you know, you look at it and you go, that's obviously an AR-15. Okay, so we know there's at least one AR-15. Um, I've had, I have found crazy things on tracks. Uh, somebody risked the, the top of an MRE off and drops. Um, I, I found a magazine once tracking a, a team, uh, an AR-15 magazine. So I, I, I knew they were armed with AR-15. So there's a lot of stuff that you'll scan that environment and pick up on. And, um, it's such a temptation to rush. Yeah. Yeah. But you and, need it at that, at that point, you need reference tracks. You need to know whose footprints are whose. So, you know, and when we, when we start tracking, we say the most important footprint you can learn is your own. Because you're going to walk around and, and see tracks again and go, oh, oh, wait, that's me. Yeah. I, you know, and I have, I have some stories about that that are, that, that are pretty telling. But, you know, I, I remember, uh, uh, a, a trail, a track down where, um, we were tracking a military team, and they all had exactly the same footwear. And we were on a military range, and everybody else had exactly the same footwear, which is a military issue. And I went, oh, my gosh, how in the world am I going to catch these guys? Everybody has the same track. Well, we had to do some measurements and do some careful analysis of these individual tracks before we could determine that they were different from others. And there's a, there's a series of measurements that you can do for personal identification of an individual, you know, it's not impossible. But, well, that was a challenge. Everybody yeah. had exactly the footwear. Yeah. Well, and and a couple of the other things that just popped in my mind as you as you were talking about all that stuff is, you know, one, you know, since most people aren't really aware that they're being tracked or that they could even be tracked, is that you might even be, you know, just start to think like whoever it is that they're in. Like if you were to survey the the landscape. Where would you travel? Like, where would be the first gut instinct that comes up of, okay, if it were me and I were, unless you're headed to a specific destination, like back to a base camp or something like that, um, where can I, if I look out there, where would I go? Like, like you're saying, if it's an arroyo or whatever, it's like, okay, there's the, there's the flat desert, um, which obviously I'm going to silhouette myself or, hey, there's this arroyo over here. I would definitely want to go in the arroyo. So that's a logical place that you might go. And then yeah. I think the other thing is the awareness we, we, that you're going to make noise, like you're going to give away a signature as well. So especially if you're tracking somebody, it seems like for me, like sound to me is like my the best sense, especially yeah. um, especially at nighttime. But mm-hmm. um, 
realizing that as you try and hightail it through a forest trying to track somebody or whatever, they're mostly likely going to hear you coming before you can figure out where their position is some, most of the time, right. I think. And that, and that's, they have to learn how to not throw a big signature. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what you talked about was really interesting because it's a, it's a very good principle that we, that we teach, which is you have a, a direction or a vector on somebody. You know they're headed northeast. So you look at the landscape, uh, and maybe you consult the map and you say, what's out there? that they would be heading to. If you know the landscape well enough, you already know that. But if you don't, you pull out a, a topo and you look at it and you go, okay, they're headed northeast. Hey, there's a hunter's cabin six miles up here. Maybe that's their base. That's the direction they're headed in any event. And you look for logical trails, uh, uh, likely trails. Humans are very predictable. Uh, they almost always cover or take the route of least resistance, which yeah. makes it easy to track them because you look for the the road. You look for the arroyo, like you mentioned. You can go up over the rocks and through the through the scree and twist your ankle and and expose yourself, or you can take the the arroyo. Now, usually the arroyo is a bad idea because it's got a sandy wash on the on the bottom, and it's really easy to track you. But again, most people are not track conscious. They may be more aware of the idea of uh, of silhouetting than they are of tracks. So. Yeah. Yeah, um, but but you know you have to stop and just analyze. So we do map analysis usually pretty early on, just to say, okay, we got a stretch to a trail. This guy's headed due northeast. What or due, due northwest? What's out there? And you go, oh wait, there's a there's a reservoir over there. Maybe he's headed for water, or maybe he has a camp there. You know, you you just try and make an analysis of what the heck. Project your knowledge of the of the terrain and uh, whatever you can find on the map and say. Yeah, and guess what? There's a dirt road that picks up right here. He probably knows that road. That's probably how he came in. And um, we'll uh, we'll go check that road. And you can save a lot of time. We call it cutting for sign. I'm on the trail leaving camp, you know, and I'm I've gone 200 yards. And we look at the at the map and say, hey, you know, two miles up, there's a dirt road that cuts in exactly the right direction. You send your team up and 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 track that road and see if there's anybody there. And then you've made a two mile jump. Yeah. And so there's a lot of logic involved in it. Uh, I don't think there's – none of it's magic. It's just it's just thinking – and you mentioned something that's very interesting, which is you start to think like the person you're tracking. Everything the tracker does educates you. I give David Scott Donlin credit for this. He taught me that everything um, that you do when you're leaving a trail educates your tracker. So you're you're teaching him how to follow you. Which was that was a pretty novel concept when I heard it. I thought oh, that's pretty interesting. Hmm. And so you're gonna you're gonna keep um, keep in mind as you as you're trying to evade, you know, that you're educating your trackers. But as a tracker, I'm looking at everything this guy does or this group does, and I'm saying, ah, this is an indication. You know, they stop for a minute on the trail, and everybody drops to a knee, so I can see knee prints, and they're in a 360 circle. Well, that's Really good trail discipline to me. I look at that and go, all right, these guys are, they're squared away. They know, they, they know how to move. Um, they spread. But, you know, again, most people make the mistake of taking the route least, the easiest route. Yeah. So it's easy to find them basically just by looking for the easy routes. Yeah. Well, we, um, 
We actually had a, a good question come in from um, from one of our readers and, and listeners, Bill Spear, and and his was about kind of like the counter tracking. So it's kind of like the opposite side of this. Besides mm-hmm. tracking, there's like how do you not be found? And so you know we look at it if we if we can think in terms of tracking, then so can other people that that are hostile, right. who maybe want what I have or are targeting um, prepared citizens in order to steal from them and victimize them. So I I, I know that whenever possible. I don't want to be tracked myself because they right. could, and they could follow me back to my survival retreat or my party. So, how can I become, you know, as impossible as as possible to to track? What are what are maybe three specific techniques and, and tactics for counter tracking to hide my movement when I'm bugging out? I remember I remember watching uh, Roots, well, like that that you know the slavery uh, miniseries, like years and years. Okay. I'm, da- I'm dating myself here, and I think he was like he was running away from the 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 slavers. And and it was like it was well known that if you took an onion and you rubbed it on your body, and then you you traveled up the water, then nobody could find you. Like the dogs wouldn't smell you, and you you wouldn't have any tracks and things like that. So yeah, I'm I'm sure you're probably not going to come out with the onion trick. But what are some ways that I can really hide my trail as much as possible, or you know, so that people can't track me? I mean, I don't know right. if you, I don't know if you heard this, but there was a there there was a video that was put out by somebody who's a you know a doomsday prepper type person and their whole their whole thing in a post collapse environment is you need to be afraid of me because i'm going to do whatever i i need to and uh-huh. i'm going to take what you have and i'm going to i'm going to find you i'm going to locate you i'm going to raid you i don't care i mean this is about survival and so there are going to be those whether they're sure. the warlord type people or whatever in a true in a true like civil breakdown post collapse environment sort of a thing. So absolutely, we, it's, yeah, it's very it's a very real possibility. Well, there are three three simple things that I would say. I already mentioned one, which is that humans always take the course of least resistance. So where do trackers look for humans? They look. I already said, you know, that's where you go. You go look for them on the course of least resistance. So I look for the roads and the trails. One of the rules of the scout was you, that you never took a human route. You never took a road or a trail that was traveled by humans. You always went where nobody looks. So the first thing is get off the roads, get off the trails, get out in the bush, and learn how to move through the bush quietly so that uh, you're not leaving obvious signs. The second thing I would say is spend some time tracking yourself so that you see what kind of a signature you leave behind. It's appalling when you approach it from a perspective of a tracker, see how bad most people are at movement, how obvious the signs are. Uh, and so as you as you track yourself, you're going to learn, hey, you know what, there's a sandy knoll right here, a, you know, a, a sandy path right here. I need to get across. Um, I, I can step around this by going 50 yards around it. If you're down and stepping on the pine needles or stepping on rocks or something across the trail and not leave an obvious trail. There are two things you're talking about here. One is defeating trackers, which is counter tracking, uh, and the other is defeating casual observation. So if someone's just cutting through an area and they find my trail, that's bad because that trail may lead me right back to, uh, my, my camp. So, I have to learn how to anti-track, which is not leave an obvious trail all the time. And it takes, it's a mindset, it's actually a lifestyle. You know, people do it financially, people do it um, electronically. There's a lot of ways people counter-track or anti-track. 
Uh, and nowadays, with given the, 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 the full court press of surveillance that's going on, I would say we're anti, we're counter tracking. We're doing things to evade trackers, uh, you know, electronically or financially or whatever. But, you know, that concept of, of being conscious of your trail and trying to avoid leaving an obvious trail is, is what the scouts always did. So they never traveled on the easy route. Yeah, it takes you a lot longer to get there, but you don't leave a trail where anybody's likely to look. And you, you've studied your own trail enough to know how to not leave a, an obvious trail. There's a whole bunch of techniques, you know, specific techniques that we go over in some of the tracking and scout classes about how to not leave a, an obvious trail. Um, but essentially, it, it, it becomes pretty obvious as soon as you start tracking yourself. You'll figure out most of them just by observing your own trail. Hike, a, hike a, across an area and then come back and track, track yourself, and you're going to go, holy cow, I can't believe I'm so bad at this. <laughs> and that's how you get better. Yeah. Um, and then, and then the, the third thing is to understand, because there's, you know, eventually a good tracker will always find the trail. But what I'm trying to do is increase the distance between me and the tracker. So I'm going to do things that I know will increase that distance that between me and the tracker. Uh, because if I'm, if I try a technique and it takes me 15 minutes to do it and it takes him three minutes to figure it out, I've lost 12 minutes. He's now 12 minutes closer to me. And, uh, vice versa, if I, do something that takes me 15 minutes and it takes them 45 minutes to figure it out, then I'm going to, I'm going to gain 30 minutes, if my math is right. So I'm always looking at it from the perspective of net gain or loss. And any technique that I use has to provide me with an increase in distance between me and the pursuer, or it's not worth it. So a lot of times you see people walk across a sandy area and then drag a brush behind them and brush out the tracks. Well, you're brushing out the tracks, but you're leaving a trail of brush marks, which the tracker's going to figure out right away. So, you know, a lot of stuff you see in movies going up streams or down streams, they can work if you know how to work it. You can use that in the right way and make it look very much like you were never there. But it's a time-consuming process, and you have to always evaluate, is it worth the effort to do this, or should I just go? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I have a – my third strategy is this, simple. Um, it is go in the – not in the right direction. Um, I want to take a, a false vector for the first while, and I want to move as fast as I can in case they throw up a cordon. If there's a tracking team on me, I want to get as far out ahead of them as I can. So I'm going to literally jog or run as far as I can, maybe a mile, maybe five miles. But I want to get as far out there as I can on a specific vector. And then I'm going to try and erase part of my trail and change directions to my actual vector. I might do it a couple of times. I might change vectors a couple of times before I head in my actual direction. And then I'm going to take time to go slow and move very carefully and conceal my trail. I bought time by jumping ahead as far as I can 
and then I can take the time to slow down and and, and move quietly and, and carefully and not throw concentric rings and not leave obvious tracks. Yeah. So that's kind of a strategy I have for counter for countering trackers, which is give them some false trails, make them think it's going to be really easy, and all of a sudden it gets really hard. Yeah, that's a good point. They'll they'll eventually find me, but I bought a lot of time that way. Yeah. I should say they'll eventually find me, but yeah. they'll eventually be able to find the trail again, and they'll probably start following. Hopefully by then I am somewhere safe. I have two other options for for countering trackers. One is to ambush them, and the other is to booby trap the trail. Mm-hmm. Apaches were really good at booby trapping trails. They uh, they did that as a uh, matter of course. I read a, a, an original source that said they would set up a camp in a little arroyo, a little canyon. They put a couple of nag horses down there, and they'd make a fire, and they'd put a couple of blankets covering tumbleweeds. And then they'd go, you know, three-quarters of a mile over into the next arroyo, set up their real camp. And they'd leave an obvious trail into that camp. The trackers or the soldiers would come in, and they would attack the uh, the fake camp. And... and um, and then the then the Apaches would hear them and, and move away. So, you know, they decoyed them. They 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 gave them something easy. The Apaches were good at ambush. They didn't do it unless they had no chance of taking casualties. That was important. Hmm. And that's what you have to think about. I, we're 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 led to believe in our culture today that it's really macho to fight, and that you've got to be a tough guy and you got to go get those guys that stole your stuff and. You know, you 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 may want to trail them, and you may want to find out where they are, but you may wait till they leave camp again, and then go steal your stuff back, rather than getting into a prolonged gunfight with them. That would be good shots. Yeah, it's a great point. You know, when we talk about um, you know the reconnaissance, and I know just going through like urban escape and evasion course with you and things like that, like you know, it's that intelligence gathering that can really that can really um, you know determine what your next actions are going to be, and I think. Sure. I think being able to read an area, that baseline and everything is very important. And this is this is what's going to tell you what the potential dangers are or what resources are available, if any, um, like, you know, that sort of thing. And if I'm bugging out and I encounter a populated area, for example, I want to use my reconnaissance and observation skills to assess potential dangers or evaluate what supplies might be there. So what is the best strategy to find, approach, and read an area when I encounter it during a scouting mission or a bug out detail, assuming I'm not being tracked or anything like that. Like, what's sure. the best way to kind of do that analysis and of that? Well, slow is the is the word. You know, you have to go slow. You have to go very carefully. But you know, my first approach would be: Can I circumvent? Can I go around this area? If there's no way around it, if there's a choke point, the bridge is the only way across, and you've got to go through the then you're going to have to go in and, and observe very slowly. You're going to look for signs of obvious unrest, you know. Are there people out in the streets or are the people all gone? Why are they gone? What kind of, uh, why are they not there? Why are, you know, is it because there's a, a warlord in the area and he rules with an iron fist? And, and so you're and you can just and you can at, and you can tell just by their movement with that. I mean, if it, if it looks like people are kind of hunched over, like I think about like the World War mm-hmm. II, like Nazis, like everybody was always 
aware that they could be dragged off the street at any point. I guess you could kind of yep. tell how people are acting of whether yeah, you're going to study you're going to study body language, um, yeah. you know, and and optics are really helpful here. Get to a, a high location, top of a, a structure or high in the structure, and get back into the room and look out through the window uh, from the shadows. Observe what's going on and pay attention to body language. Look for look for people. You know, you're always going to be looking for who's armed, how well armed are they, what's their discipline, are they, you know, do they are they are they uh, painting each other or are they really good with puzzle discipline? You know, those are the kinds of little things that you're paying attention to when you're doing surveillance. You want to you want to, and it's kind of a funny thing, but you actually, as you sit there with a notebook watching people, you're going to make notes. You're going to give everybody a name. That's Poncho. That's Lefty. That's um, <laughs> Dumbass. That's, you know, everybody's got a name based on what you observe. And then you just start profiling these people uh, and, and observe them from a long, for a long time. You know, a, 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 a true tactical reconnaissance is probably two or three days. Uh, and, you know, is your life worth that time? Well, I hope so. Mm. So you have to, you have to be willing to, Pay the price to get the information. It's not, you know, if you look at, if you look at, uh, marine recon guys, force recon guys, they're out there for a long time, just sitting there in a hide with binoculars watching and watching and watching, trying to establish patterns of movement, timing of, of changes in, in guards, if there's that kind of thing going on. You know, at four o'clock in the morning, nobody's stirring, but at five thirty, every, the first guys are up and, Making coffee and, you know, you just kind of learn how to, how to observe and, and, and record everything you can. And once you have that information, then you come up with a strategy of how to, uh, how to pass through the area. What time of day, time of, uh, are people the least aware? And, you know, most of the time it's four in the morning. So, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's a strategy that says, how can I minimize risk? I have to do this. I don't want to die doing it. So what are my options? And I would say you want to do observation from a couple of different points, a couple of different people. Get together back in your base camp and compare notes and then make a decision about how and when to move. But um, you can't move blindly in an urban area. There are you have, you have to deal with what we call the third dimension. Out here in the woods, uh, I have to w- worry about what's uh, depth and breadth, but in the city you have to worry about breadth and depth and height. There's always somebody with a high angle on you, and unless you're aware of that, you know you set yourself up for being sniped or observed and then captured. So yeah. it's, a, it's it's a really detailed process, but it's the only way I can think to. It's the only way I've been able to figure out to get through those areas. Yeah. And I got a couple of Marine Force Recon guys that have, have taught me a lot of this stuff. And, uh, you know, they, they say, man, that's worst case scenario. I'm trying to travel through a city, uh, that's, that's fallen apart. Oh man, if, you know, yeah. you really need an armored personnel carrier and a fire team on your side, uh, to pull that off. And it's just not easy. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I say if you can't avoid it, then analyze it, analyze the crap out of it, just study it the heck out of it figure it all out, and then make your plan and, and go for it. Yeah. Recognizing, well, of course, that no plan survives first contact, and 
as Patton said, one of my favorite quotes of Patton is that a, a plan is a, a wish in a party dress. <laughs> that's, so, that's so true. Boy, that's so true. you make a plan and then you go for it and see what happens. And if you've done a job of analyzing, you'll know, you know, one of the, one of the things I've learned from, from the special forces guys is how to plan. Those guys plan over, and when they go into the team room before a mission, they sit down and go through every option and every consideration. What is our comm situation? What's our medical situation? What's our weapon situation? And these guys do analysis like I've never seen anybody do. And consequently, if plan A goes to crap, then you go to plan B, and then if that goes to crap, you go to plan C. And they have and then, then you, if you have to improvise, you have all the information. They've done such a good job of gathering intel that they uh, that they really can pull that off. Yeah, and that's what you want to do. You know, it's it's you and your family and your na- three neighbors and their families. You know, you got two or three guys that can actually fight. Maybe three or four backups to that, and you can't afford to lose anybody. So yeah. be cautious. Be observant. Look for those concentric rings. You mentioned one, you know, you mentioned, you know, the, the, the civilians huddling and, and crouching in fear as a, as a, a couple of the Nazis walk past a block, down a block. That's a concentric ring. Those, those guys are predators and they're disturbing the, the landscape and you should be able to detect that kind of thing. Yeah. And then study those people. So it's, it's interesting kind of, cause there's kind of like these layers, right? I mean, like, yeah. if you see that when, Two, pe- two certain people are walking down the street, and that's what makes people cringe. Well, that could be part of like the the warlord party, for lack of sure. a better term, or whatever. And do they have any colors on them? And like, how do they differentiate themselves? How do they? Because a lot of those people right. will, you know, have some sort of like, an armband or something like that. That some they kind of identifier. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that, and that and, to... and one of the things that you're going to look for while you're while you're observing is is uh, pecking order. You're going to look for the alphas. Who are the alpha males? Um, and how do you know they're alphas? And, and who are the betas? And, and what is their behavior? You know, I always say that betas are more dangerous than alphas. Alphas already have their bones. They've earned it. Betas are trying So they are more, typically more aggressive than alphas. So you're always watching out for that. You know, who are the omegas? You know, the people cringing are the omegas. They're the bottom of the pecking. But there's a definitive... A definite pecking order that you can identify from observation. I do this uh, all the time. Whenever I'm around a group, I love to do this. I love to go into a, a restaurant and identify there's five people sitting at a table. Who's the alpha? You know, and how do I know he's the alpha? Try and, try and do that kind of practice so that when you're sitting looking through binoculars, you can say, wow, that guy's clearly the alpha. Look at how everybody defers him. Look how their body language differs when they're around him, uh, versus this Charlie over here who nobody pays any attention to. Yeah. Yeah. It's good so, practical exercise. Yeah. It's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Kevin, our, uh, our 15 minute podcast is now over an hour long, which is great, which is awesome. I, I always appreciate all the, uh, the information that you have and listen, everybody, uh, there's knowledge and then there's dirt time. And I highly recommend that you, you do the dirt time on this. As you can see, there's a, there's a real purpose. It's not fantasy. Let's, let's go out there and be Indians and, and, and feel the ground and sniff the air. And, and there's no, it's not magic. It's you, these are skills that you can learn that anybody can learn. 
and and put to put to real use. And I and I do think that there is a practical purpose for this in a preparedness plan. And and Kevin's on point tactical actually has a course that teaches you these skills and lets you put them to to real use in in practical training exercises. And I've been through Kevin's course for urban escape and evasion and it's top notch. I mean you're getting top-notch training so um so definitely go and check out the training schedule and find out he travels around so you can you can find something at least close to you that you'd be able to to um get to something so definitely go over his website is www.onpointtactical.com he's got his schedule there and um i promise you're going to find lots of great training over there too so go check it out and until our next modern combat and survival broadcast this is jeff anderson saying train hard stay safe prepare now We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash modern combat and survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.